0: So this morning's reading is from the Old Testament and from the book of Daniel. We're starting in chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, language, or lang- any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thank you, Val. Father, we just pray as Judy comes up and speaks to us now that you would um, inspire her words, you would bring a message through her to us this morning, that we would hear from the living God uh, through both the words of this reading and also through what Judy now shares with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So we're on our third week now, looking at the book of Daniel. And uh, this is a a really climactic point, I think. It's one that perhaps we're more familiar with. this part of the story, Um, but it challenges me. And certainly in preparation for today, I found it hugely challenging when I read what happens uh, in this episode uh, of the story of Daniel. And I wonder today, I'm sure you've thought about this at some point, might be a gloomy thought to start with, but I wonder today if it was made illegal for us to gather as church, as Christian church in our nation, if it was decreed and declared that that's illegal for us to do, what would we do? What would we do? Would we text each other secretly to see if we can meet in each other's homes? Would we defiantly come here anyway? Would we sing even louder? One thing I suggest we wouldn't do is stay in bed and have a (laughs) lie-in, would we? Because when something is dangerous like that, we have to believe, am I really in this or am I not? Because whatever we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm going to try and not say their names too many times, <laughs> um, whatever we think, they were men and women like us. We can, we can put them on a pedestal and say they were the heroes, or we can say, actually, the same spirit lives in you and I. The same spirit is in us. And actually, the call on us through this passage again, as John prophesied and, and shared with us earlier, is, is this our heart? Is this our passion? Because these are men who are living for a world beyond this, aren't they? These are men who say, even if, whatever happens, I'm a citizen not of Babylon but of another world. Yes, I'm here in exile, but I am a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God, and therefore you can do what you want to my body. You cannot have my soul. And when we read the news and when we hear the stories that we hear currently across the world, there's a sense that our soul can do two things. It can either despair, and there's much to despair about, or we can say, rise up, God, and do something extraordinary. Because one thing these men are is they're expectant of God they are expectant, they're looking at this and saying, God, you will show up. I don't know how, and I think sometimes that's where I go wrong. I tell God how he should show up and then get very, very disappointed when he doesn't do what I think he should do. But nevertheless, he does show up and is faithful. And I find this a struggle. I was sharing in in first service, I find it a struggle because I am a person who lives in the present. That is my personality. So I don't struggle a lot with anxiety, probably moderately so like all of us, but I live in the moment. Now that's quite a happy place for me, but the downside of that is that I need to keep reminding my soul that I'm created for another world, that I'm only here a short time. As Tim said a few weeks ago, these are the inns, if you like, that we stay in, these bodies but actually we, we live for a world beyond this. And I read this brilliant thing uh, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a mixed blessing in all our lives, but it does uh, resource us at times with really good stories. And this is a kind of hypothetical conversation between two babies in a womb. In a mother's womb are two babies. One asks the other, do you believe in a life after delivery? The other replied, well, of course I do. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. Nonsense, says the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life could that be? The second says, I don't know. There might be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking is impossible and eating with our mouths, ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need. They're very educated babies, aren't they? (laughs) But the umbilical cord is so short. Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there's something and maybe it's different to here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord any longer. The first replied, nonsense. And if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life, and in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness, oblivion and silence. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but we will meet mother, and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother? You actually still believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, she is all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not or could not exist, said the first, well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. (laughs) To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling down from above. And uh, it's only a, a little superstition, and it's not a <laughs> superstition, it's not that we're not preaching that, a supposition. I'm quite tired, sorry. Um, but actually, it speaks to me, because that's sometimes how I can live the day. You know, the womb is it, that there's nothing beyond that. And actually, we're not living for the now, we're living for the not yet in our lives. And there are many of them, aren't there? There are many fiery furnaces around this body. Uh, This is a lovely little boy who I met in Dunkirk uh, when we went to visit the refugee camp there a few weeks ago. Uh, There are over a thousand refugees, many of them unaccompanied children still in the camp in Dunkirk. And uh, I think I shared a few weeks ago that I was very nervous in doing this and knocking on all the little shelters. I I felt quite afraid, actually. Um, I felt very out of my comfort zone. Fortunately, I had the lovely Kate Squires with me Uh, from this school, who took this photograph, and uh, who was just a real blessing on the trip. and uh, She tells me that if I mention Kermit, who she also brought with us, um, that she will come to church. So I'm just saying that for the recording for you, Kate. Um, But she was a real blessing to me because she confidently knocked on the doors where I was standing back a little bit nervous. But this was the first face we saw. And that's how he answered the door. I know it's a bit dark in here, but if you (laughs) you can see what I see on the monitor, he is really, really beautifully radiant. Beautifully radiant. And as we look at this subject of homeless but not hopeless, he was the epitome of it. You know, he's totally in exile from all of his community, maybe even from his family, I don't know. But actually, he had a radiance in him that speaks to me beyond his circumstances, and there were many others like him. Although many uh, that actually were really quite depressed, and seeing depressed children is is horrible. Uh, so there is a, there is a cause to be fought for those children, isn't there? And uh, if we really believe in what we've just read, then we need to keep on standing up and standing up for them until something happens. And I forgive me that if that sounds political, I don't believe it is political. Uh, I believe it's, it's of God. C.S. Lewis says if I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Uh, I don't know um, whether you saw this on Facebook. I don't spend all my time on Facebook. I'm rarely on there, as many of you will know. (laughs) But there just happened to have been a couple of gems recently. But this was a photo that came up. Uh, I don't know if you can uh, see it. I think Lindsay shared it and a couple of others may have done. But this is a photo of a very famous painting, uh, The Night Watchman. And uh, this is a photo of students in front of it. Um, Now, we can look at that and think, my goodness me, that's a sign of our times. Actually, someone told me after the first service that apparently in the photo they're researching the painting, so it doesn't work quite as well. But for conscience sake, I feel I should tell you that, but forget I said that for the moment. Um, but what it, it symbolises the fact that we can really miss out that that is a beautiful painting. You may not agree that it's a beautiful painting, I think it is, but whether you do or not, that that's the world that we live in, the world of the phone, the world of the immediate, the the kind of toxic culture that actually says, I need your attention, I need it now. And yet we have glorious times in scripture, in the Bible, where we hear things like Moses turned aside, and God saw that he had turned aside, and he spoke to him through the burning bush. But what God saw first was that he'd turned aside, and I think it's increasingly hard for our young people to turn aside because there's so much bombarding everyone, so much, your phone's going off, you're in a WhatsApp group, you're in a Snapchat, and all of it's good, please hear me. I love the communication that it brings. But it also brings a distraction sometimes, as was, was said in some of the words, that actually we need to be keenly attentive to what God is doing. I was at a conference in Yeovil, of 400 very loud women uh, yesterday, uh, had a brilliant time, but it got to the point where we did an altar call and it was a call really for people who felt they'd drifted away from God. And I made a really bold statement that I would stand and pray with anybody who came forward. And then you have that moment when you think nobody's gonna come forward. And uh, you know, just started to feel really, really nervous. And just thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't said that out loud and all sorts of things going on. And this lovely young girl came up to me A girl that I've only met a couple of times before, but here in this Yeovil conference, she was there randomly and she just came up to me and she said, Gee, I don't know if this helps you, but I just see a picture of you and you feel very small, but there's a whole row of soldiers that look like angels behind you. (laughs) And then what happened next was I went and I prayed with so many people in a different way because that young girl, now she could have thought, Judy's gonna think that's really random and stupid and not come forward, but she did, and it changed my expectancy of how I prayed for those women, and a lot did come forward uh, and, and other people prayed, but actually God was doing something. But I say that because what happens when Nebuchadnezzar throws these guys into the furnace, he sees a figure and he says he looked like the son of the gods. And that's a prophetic, that's Jesus before he was Jesus, if you like, that's him there in the midst of them. But they were expectant to see him. They didn't know what would happen, uh, but they did know God would move. I don't think they could have made that up, incidentally. Don't you think that's interesting? Where we think we tell God how our story needs to end, and actually God says, ha, I've got something much more creative and much more different to it to often what we're praying for. So we have the I won'ts. We have our lines as we saw in Daniel 1 and 2 where we say, I will not do that. I will not drink of the court of the king. I will not eat of the food of the court of the king. These men had already done that. And interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 1 had said, I get it, your God is the God. And then by chapter 3, he's got everyone bowing down to him again. Now we can say, oh, that's naughty Nebuchadnezzar and we stand with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Or... We could think, hang on a minute, isn't there a bit of that in us? We get it. We say, God, you have my heart. You are, I love you first in my life. And then we're Nebuchadnezzar. Could the world revolve around me a bit more? And and I, I really, in preparing for this, thought, well, there's a bit of both, isn't there, if we're honest? There's over here these faithful three and we want to be them and we aspire to them and we will be them. But also on days we will be Nebuchadnezzar, where we just I just need the world to revolve a little bit more around me. As some of you know, I went on a little uh, silent retreat, that will surprise many of you, Um, but I did, and it was with some lovely ladies from this church, and uh, it was a challenge for me, and probably my presence was a challenge for them, I don't know, but anyway, we got on very well, and um, we were promised that we could speak at lunchtime, so I did very well in the morning, knowing that we could speak at lunchtime, Uh, but then something happened in the afternoon. So basically, we were then released to find a place to go and really just be with the Saviour, contemplate Jesus, forget about ourselves. I thought, this is what I need. So I sat at my table, and it was a beautiful table in the House of Bread, overlooking the, the, the countryside there, as Linda and David will tell you. And I said, Lord, I just want to think less about me. This is really important to me. That I just, It's not about me, this is about you. It's not about me, it's about you. And I opened my eyes, and the biro in front of me, a little pen that was on the desk there, that I was sitting at, said, thank God for Judy. And I thought, oh, well, I'm having an e- egocentric episode because clearly it doesn't, it says Jesus. So I thought, I'll shut my eyes again. And I shut my eyes again, looked at it again, thinking it's going to say thank God for Jesus. And it still said thank God for Judy. And I thought, this is really, really strange. And I thought, I really am losing the plot <laughs> because it definitely says it. And then I looked at other pens that were around and they all had thank God for Judy. Then Amanda, Amanda Smith came rushing in laughing, we are very naughty, and she had found a pen saying, thank God for Judy. And it turned out, um, not that members of our congregation had had those pens made, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Our <laughs> t-shirts <laughs> done, you know, I don't know if you want to do that. but. Um, <laughs> but no it was nothing to do with me actually it was a lovely lady who'd been very faithful to the house of bread who died who'd had her funeral there and they'd had pens made with thank god for judy and clearly not everyone had taken a pen because uh, there were many left but the point was and it has stayed with me that that can be a little bit like me and a bit like us i think god in that moment just wanted to have a bit of a laugh with me yeah. you know have you ever had those moments yeah, yeah. Where it's like, Judy, you know, there are different personalities and this is often how you relate to me, through humour. Uh, So I did have a bit of a giggle about it. But the point is that we can so easily become these egocentric people that think that actually our world and that God has to be shaped by our needs. Whereas these guys say, I will. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And I, I was saying to particularly the young people, and I say it to you now, we need your song You know, the world is not in a good place and we need this song, the song of hope, you know, for the homeless. This week we start night shelter. You know, we're singing a song that gives those men hope but there are many more songs. There's songs that God wants you to sing in your college, in your university, in your workplace, that points people to Jesus, because what happens is, they say, we will go into the fire, we won't bow down, we will go into the fire, even if it doesn't turn out the way that we think. And what happens is a fourth figure joins them in the fire and Nebuchadnezzar changes the culture of the whole land. He doesn't even know who it is. But he says, actually, there's a man in there that looks like the sons of gods. And actually, what if that was true of our lives? That in the furnace of the trials that we're in, and there are many trials across this church, many in our lives now, where you feel you're in that furnace, and actually, the living God is with you, and people will see you. And I found this in a trial in my life. I thought people would think God has left me. You know when the psalmist cries out, where is your God, You know, where all around me are saying, where is your God, when I hit rock bottom, I thought, oh no, my witness is over. Is this done? Because people think, well, things didn't turn out very well for Judy. Whereas actually, that was probably one of the most fruitful times in my life in terms of what friends and people saw. It works differently. The economy of the kingdom is so different from the Babylonian culture that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to, uh, to keep going. And suddenly at the end of the chapter, he changes his whole viewpoint. Terry Waite, if some of you have read his book, Taken on Trust, he went in as a hostage many years ago now, but his story still has an impact on me and on many others and on him. And he went to Beirut to try and rescue and try and actually be the the arbitrator for hostages and ended up in prison himself, in a really dire prison Uh, in solitary confinement. And in his book he says this, break my body, bend my mind, but my soul is not yours to possess. You have to learn to live within. That was my hope, that my soul lay in the hands of Christ and wasn't to be taken. And I think that's how we survive, isn't it? In a world that is increasingly saying, bow down to the god of mammon, bow down to the god of the age, that we have an inner life in inner life like that, that says, no, I will not bow down. No, I will not bow down. And I just again say to the young people here, what will be your stand? Because the world needs you, and you're doing it already brilliantly. But what will be the stand that we make? What will be the thing that we say, I won't do that? I won't do that. You know, is it something that you need to just make a stand right from the beginning on? Uh, because actually, it's easier then. But Terry Waite knew that the inner life couldn't be taken. Uh, There used to be a song, didn't there? We can't touch my soul. You can drag my name through the dirt. You can make me scream till it hurts, but you can't touch my soul. And that's a defiant prayer to pray, actually. Interestingly, I don't know how much you noticed in the passage, but in chapter 1, we hear all about the activity of God. We hear that it was the Lord that let them go to Babylon, even though they're in captivity. We hear that God caused them to have favour with the officials. We hear that actually God gave them wisdom in their situation. And then suddenly in the account that thou read, we don't hear the Lord did anything. We just hear what Nebuchadnezzar's up to until... We see the figure in the, in the fire. And I just felt that was a word for us when we're in trials, that actually we suddenly think God is silent. Where are you, God? And we're not alone in that. But actually sometimes the delay is because God is doing something even more remarkable than we could dream up. And actually he is always with us. There are many promises in the Bible, uh, but there's one solid promise throughout that God says he will never leave us. And he never will. They took their stand. They said, okay, do what you need to do. But as for us, our God will rescue us. And who rescued them? Jesus. It's a prophetic image of Jesus. But isn't it interesting that scripture even then is pointing people to Jesus? And that's our role. While we're here on earth, while we're lent this life, that's our greatest role, that we would point people to Jesus. Jesus. And while it's still legal, let's do it passionately in this place. You know, as we were singing, I just felt a passion rising in me. While we still can declare his name publicly, while we still can tell our friends in overt ways, we may in the future need different ways of doing it, but for now we can. So let's not waste these times that we have because there's a heart's cry in my friends that that I hear who who just despair about how the world is, because without Christ, you know what is going on? But with him, everything changes. Jesus prays for us. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And Paul, uh, in one of his epistles says, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. And and we're aliens. <laughs> and I, I you know hesitate to say that. You all look very beautiful and not weird. But um, actually, there is a sense that we we can't make our home too much here. And that's difficult for us, isn't it? I'm a I'm a definitely a home person, and I, I can be guilty of kind of making this too much my reality, and not letting God inspire me that there is a kingdom beyond this. There's a treasure for those who believe. There's reward for those of us who stand firm. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And there will be images of gold that are not about money or materialism. there will be idols in all of our lives. Idols in all of our lives. And maybe when we respond, it'd be good to just think, what are the things that stop us saying, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strengths? because that is his command, and then that we go on to love our world. The streams of living water flow in us and flow out of us to a world that need to know Christ. Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can, both d- can destroy both soul and body. He has the power to breathe life and death, and he's given us life, he's given us abundant life. He's given us a life beyond this one in eternity. Look, he answered, says Nebuchadnezzar, I see four men loose walking in the middle of the fire. They are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And I was thinking about how come they're not hurt? Because I don't know about you, but this life is really hurtful at times. And I was thinking, well, how come they're not hurt in the fire? Because I've been in some fires and God has been with me, but I've got hurt in them. So I was thinking, so how does that work? But I believe that this is a picture of the eternal rescue of Jesus Christ. That actually one day our hurts and our tears and our pain will fade away, they will be gone. We'll have a new body and it will be without wound, without blemish, and we'll be with the living God, (laughs) which is pretty incredible, isn't it? So actually we will pick up wounds along the way I wish that we didn't, but actually, there was a lady I stayed with, as some of you know, last year, uh, in the run-up to Good Friday, and she'd had tumultuous things going on in her life, and she made me breakfast, and she sat there, and she said, you know, it's been a really hard time, and I said, how are you still hanging in there? I just said, you are remarkable in what you're hanging in there, and she said, do you know this? She said, I love him more now due to the length of my cry than if he'd taken me out of the pit in the beginning might be slightly paraphrased, but uh, the bit I remember is the length of my cry had made me love him more. And it's so counter-cultural. It's counter-every instinct of the Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar world, isn't it? But be encouraged today. If you're in that trial, if you're facing that fire, he is with you. Others will see Jesus in and through your trial. And one day, we will be not only free from trial, free from pain, free from tears, and with him eternally. (coughs) We're only here a short while. Uh, Let's not waste uh, what we have. Let me pray this over us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, (coughs) not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters here, pray for myself, Lord, that, that we would remind our hearts that we live for a world that is not this one, that this is not our home, that you are, our home, as Dave reminded us earlier, that you've made your home in us and we have made our home in you. And therefore, we do not lose heart. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who might be losing heart today, that you would put in us again the passion of the kingdom, the passion to keep on declaring your name while we still have breath in us, while we still have the means and the freedom to do that, Lord, that we would live all out for your kingdom's sake. And that's a work of your spirit, Lord. And as we come, as we maybe receive some prayer today, would you fan into flame the passion of every heart here to live in our trials, to live through our trials, knowing that you are with us, the living God is with us in the fire. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Gonna have just a couple of moments of uh, band playing, just to reflect, maybe to think about what's that one stand that you're going to make. Maybe it's an "I will," "I will write to someone, write to my MP, whatever it is." I won't bow down. Maybe there's an area where we feel that we are compromising, and God would just bring us into line over that. But maybe it's just that you want to know that He has your heart again, and that you live first for His kingdom, even if things don't turn out the way that you thought they would.